Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey there, Solar Warrior. Welcome to another Tactical Tuesday, a short form conversation with subject matter experts designed to give you the practical tools, tips, and advice for building your solar business or career. I'll try to keep these under a half hour so that you can enjoy it on your way to work or maybe while you're at home on a short jog, wherever you can squeeze it in. I'm honored that you're joining me for another foray into the world, wild and crazy as it may be, of solar energy. This week, we've got a renewable energy pioneer and super connector joining us to help separate the wheat from the shaft on some recent news and legislation that will undoubtedly affect the solar and broader renewable supply chain in 2020 and beyond, if it stands. Paul Wormser has been in the renewable energy business since the 80s. And he's got a deep understanding of how the industry works, both domestically and abroad. As Vice President for Clean Energy Associates, Paul serves as a rudder for many clients who are navigating the uncertain waters in the energy landscape. Now, as many of you probably already know, the Trump administration earlier in the month of May issued an executive order that stands to impede on the progress of the solar industry in the United States especially related to power electronics products, which are predominantly fabricated beyond our shores. Today's Tactical Tuesday with Paul, we discussed the recent executive order on securing U.S. bulk power supply, the status of existing tariffs in the solar supply chain, and generally supply chain management in the era of a global lockdown due to this recent economic crisis. If you love this episode, then you should check out the more than 250 additional founder stories and startup advice over at mysuncast.com. And hey, while you're there, why don't you go ahead and sign up to receive our Suncast Tribe newsletters. That way you'll be notified whenever we have new episodes and other ways that we're constantly seeking to serve this community more effectively. For now, get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior, as we tune in to another powerful conversation here on Suncast. All right, Solar Warriors, we don't always jump into timely news-related content and context. But when we do, we like to bring in folks with decades of experience and uh, clear authority on the subject matter. Today is no exception, and I'm slightly embarrassed that it has taken me as long as it has to get today's unbelievable guest on the show. Be that as it may, uh, there's a first time for everything, and I'm happy to have Mr. Paul Wormser joining us today from California. Paul, how are you doing? Doing really well, thank you, and it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, as I said uh, in the in the lead up here, when we do Tactical Tuesdays, it is with a subject matter expert to help bring insight to our audience. And as the Vice President of Technology for Clean Energy Associates, as well as a 40-plus year industry veteran, uh, you have a particularly uh, acute grasp of what's happening in our world today. For listeners who perhaps are unfamiliar, Clean Energy Associates is a technical advisory firm. Many of you who are longtime Suncast listeners may have listened to 
Andy Klump's interview. He's the founder and CEO of Clean Energy Associates and also all-time leaderboard, number one downloads of our podcast. So we have a lot of folks here who have heard Andy's episode. I'd encourage you to go back and take a listen to that because the reason that this business exists uh, is a fascinating journey of entrepreneurship in and of itself. But why are we here? I mentioned in, in the intro there are a lot of things happening politically right now that are driving our procurement ecosystem, the supply side of getting these solar projects built. And very few companies in the world have as close a relationship and a front row seat, uh, indeed sitting in the epicenter, as I've heard uh, Paul and Andy say it, of what's happening uh, predominantly with our Asia supply partners as Clean Energy Associates because it's based in, uh, in China. So we wanted Paul to come on today. Paul has, for the last few years, been working with Clean Energy Associates running the technology side of their business. And that means looking at quality assurance issues and helping clients navigate the uncertainties often related with working with uh, the Asia suppliers, but also working through the intricate details of standing up businesses, moving into new regions, getting partnerships in place uh, in an appropriate way to short circuit the otherwise difficult things they might encounter in the market. And, you know, the, the, just the track record of you all helping companies navigate this, it speaks uh, volumes and of course, as I mentioned, with 40 years in the industry, Paul is an OG. So, Paul, I know that uh, when when Trump dropped this executive order on Friday, you quickly became one of the go-to uh, experts among the many, many law firms that are trying to reassure their clients. Uh, I have to imagine that you all at Clean Energy Associates are also getting a ton of uh, a ton of phone calls to help sort the wheat from the chaff. We're going to try to do that today for our listeners. And uh, we're going to start with the most obvious of topics. Uh, on May 1st, for those of you who might be listening to this a little bit uh, later in uh, Chronograph, May 1st, we had an executive order come from the United States White House on securing U.S. bulk power systems. Paul, can you give us an overview of what this executive order aims to achieve, and then we'll explore a bit what, what the reality is underneath and what it means for our industry. Well, thank you for asking. And in addition to this executive order, we'll probably talk a little bit about another thing that happened just this week on Monday, which is the initiation of a Section 232 investigation. Both the executive order and the 232 affect what people buy, when people buy it, and effectively where it's going to be manufactured and what the pricing will turn out to be. So in terms of the executive order, the president issued the order, as you mentioned a moment ago, on Friday, and the order is intended based on a national emergency situation as declared by the president to take steps to protect the electrical grid of the United States. The concept is that the grid is subject to certain vulnerabilities, and those vulnerabilities can be penetrated by people with malicious intent. And as a consequence, the president has suggested that there are adversarial entities that may be producing equipment that we use in our grid. And this really refers specifically to high voltage transmission, 69,000 volts and above. So it's power that's traveling a long distance and over big wires. 
But because those power lines are connected and fed by ever smaller systems as you go from large solar power plants or large battery plants down even as far as the residential rooftop, you could take the position that all generators, regardless of size, have some impact on grid reliability. So right now, the order requires the Secretary of Energy to take the next 150 days to set up rules about how we would determine whether a company or a product would somehow pose undue risk to the U.S. grid. And while no nation was specifically identified, typically when we think about adversarial nations in policy documents, we think about Russia, we think about North Korea, we think about Iran, and we think about China. In the case of solar and storage systems, we don't buy anything from Russia or North Korea or from Iran. So it's really most likely targeted towards China. And it impacts not only companies that are Chinese, perhaps, but also companies that manufacture or design in China. I don't know what the number is of the top tier one solar panel manufacturers or inverter manufacturers is in, in, from a percentage point. But it's it's certainly, I would bet, over 75 percent. Indeed, the top uh, inverter and panel manufacturers in uh, certainly the top three to five are all Asian is this something that is narrowly constrained or interpreted for our industry as power electronics? So we might think of inverters, we might think of transformers and such, or could it potentially be construed to mean somehow impacting more than those types of power electronics controls? The order itself is quite broad in the language, and there is no clear line about what is included or is not included in the sense that the language does refer to generation capability. So you can think about this as anything that can produce or deliver electricity if you really wanted to go broad. Because the language is ambiguous and not so specific, during the next 150 days, we're going to learn a lot more as the rules get defined. But I think what we can do now is we can think about this in terms of perhaps two extremes. What's the best case in terms of the impact of this order on the solar and storage industries? And perhaps what's the worst case? So in terms of the best case, we can imagine that it is narrow in scope and that while this may impact certain kinds of products, especially products that directly control and communicate with high voltage lines, that's not going to impact most of the systems that we see in the United States. I would say within that, again, best case, the order is much more for people who are in the utility industry and they're moving enormous amounts of power from place to place. So that would mean steady as she goes, we're all set. I call that the extreme. The opposite extreme is where not only are any items that have software or firmware in them subject to the order, but so would generation and potentially storage be subject. So you could imagine, worst case, that people who make inverters or people who make battery management systems or energy management systems 
if they have any relationship to the adversarial entity that could be blocked. In concept, the Department of Energy is going to create a list of pre-approved equipment or pre-approved vendors. And you can imagine that many vendors from overseas are going to try to get on that list of pre-approval. On the other hand, there will be vendors who don't get the pre-approval. And at that point, they may have to be looking for exceptions or special reviews of their products or their companies in order to get something allowed to come in. What we would hope does not happen is any sort of a blanket blockade against anything coming from China into the U.S. for our solar and storage systems. One of the things that's not immediately clear for me is what exactly or even what most likely is being targeted or what is the fear. And I'm, I'm thinking you just mentioned firmware and software. We've got sort of historical context that this government, this administration, has displayed a pretty healthy amount of, we'll call it fear, or fear-mongering perhaps, towards companies like Huawei, uh, a Chinese manufacturer of telecommunications equipment, as well as one of the largest inverter manufacturers in the world for our industry. Are we seeing signs that the fear is that embedded in this technology is a software application that could in some way spy or uh, allow access to a bad actor in the market. Is that the underlying fear? I think the overall fear is perhaps what you said, but I would suggest a little bit of a different take on it. The, the fear is giving control to some part of our grid infrastructure to somebody who's not friendly. Yeah. And by control, you mean the ability to turn on and off a device for remotely. Exactly. So imagine sort of the, the sci-fi movie of some time in the future when there is a centralized software system that can reach out to all inverters between you know one and two megawatts in size. And the person who writes that software or the person who controls that central software system could, in essence, be operating that from the standpoint of let's have great grid reliability. Let's have really good understanding of the ebbs and flows of power. And this kind of activity is taking place all over the country now in operation centers. But if somebody got control of an operation center, it could cause disruption. It's a Pandora's box as well, because there are a lot of problems when one contemplates, okay, well, if this is a software issue and we, and we have trust problems or trust issues with the software embedded in this technology, why not require them to allow us to put American software in? Well, there's a whole lot of IP issues around technology transfer and the ability for us to now somehow expose our own IP to these these foreign adversaries as they've been coined. This seems like a very complex issue. Uh, it also seems a bit like tail wagging the dog in that uh, it's one of the classic motivations in international political diplomacy or, or, or the lack thereof in trade policy to just stall, to stall and hold the arm out, keep the market from moving while we quote unquote figure it out. So it sounds like we've got 150 days wherein the Secretary of Energy is going to be setting up rules. We've seen this before, by the way, because you mentioned some of the uh, previous tariff cases where the market itself sees dramatic delays in action and uncertainty around what the right choice is and the fear of what might happen if you make that choice. Are we in a wait and see right now? I mean, is this a cat and mouse? Uh, does the industry as a whole just sit back and wait for uh, five months? I don't think the industry can 
just wait for five months. So there will be almost certainly signals sent by the administration, by the Secretary of Energy, by the other departments that are involved in this about fixing this up. One example is within the order, the president has asked as soon as practical that there is a review of what is already in place. If the Secretary of Energy determines, for example, that there are places in the United States where there are products or software systems that could in fact be disruptive to the U.S. grid, then steps will have to be taken. There again, you have sort of best case and worst case scenarios. In one example, the equipment might need to be replaced. That would, of course, take a long time if there's a lot of it or if there's a lot of equipment in lots of different places. Another, though, another example, though, would be perhaps what you're suggesting there is that maybe the control system software is swapped out. And that would be a retrofit kind of a situation, but that could be sufficient to mitigate the risk to the point where it satisfies the Secretary of Energy. You know, every commercial solar opportunity counts. So why lose that sale to high demand charges? Did you know that you can offer up to 30% in demand charge savings at a tenth of the cost of installing a battery? With DemandX, the innovative new demand charge reduction software from Extensible Energy, your client can boost ROI and reduce payback time without all the expense. And as a Suncast listener, you can get a free demand charge analysis by going to extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast. And while you're there, check out three recent case studies on how this easy to install software is a win-win for you and your commercial solar clients. DemandX works for office buildings, retail, churches, and more. See for yourself at extensibleenergy.com forward slash suncast. Did you miss out on the live sessions of the Suncast Clean Energy Summit? We had so much fun with some of the most inspiring and impactful leaders in the clean economy throughout the Americas, learning about where the industry's going and giving you practical advice on how you too can participate and grow with us. Well, you're in luck because my team recorded the whole thing and you can check it out over at suncastsummit.com. It's posted there for a limited time for free. You can also see all of the replays inside of our private Facebook group, the Clean Energy Guild, where all the videos are posted and lots of solar warriors just like you are connecting. Both are linked over at suncastsummit.com. See you on the inside. Our industry, that being the solar and broader clean energy business, have been affected by tariffs in many different ways. So I'd like to hear from you, Paul, maybe a quick update. What's going on with tariffs and international trade relations, specifically with the 232 filing that you mentioned? Can you help disintermediate uh, maybe some confusion around the 232 versus 201 and what people can expect? Just for context, there are quite a few tariffs that apply across the world that affect us in the solar and the storage industries. There's the anti-dumping and countervailing duty tariff that is placed on goods made in China. There's the 201 tariff that applies to things like modules and solar cells, even if they're not made in China. There's the 301 that applies to certain goods. And then there's the section 232, which is important now because just this past Monday, a few days ago, the Department of Commerce decided to launch an investigation. So this typically happens when, again, there is a concern about national security. And in this case, the concern is all about a very unique 
kind of steel, it's called GOES, or grain-oriented electrical steel. And this is a specialty steel used in the manufacturing of transformers. Well, transformers are part of our daily lives, and transformers are used throughout the U.S. grid system. It turns out that we have, at this point in the U.S., only one provider of this kind of material. And so most of this material is made overseas. When we originally put in, in 2018, a Section 232 against steel and against aluminum, we looked at allowing certain countries to ship products of steel and aluminum into the U.S. without the tariff. And we negotiated a trade deal with Canada and Mexico that exempted them from this tariff. The recent action is because the steel company in the U.S. has asked for a review, and that request has been acknowledged. It's actually become now a self-initiated request for review by the Department of Commerce because a lot of the steel that's used is coming into the U.S. from other places. And so the concern is if there's only one producer in the U.S., and if that producer isn't sustained because of foreign competition, that could mean that we're leading ourselves open to a national security issue on supply chain for transformers. So the nuts and bolts of this are that for the next nine months, there'll be an investigation. And during that investigation, I'm sure we're going to hear from many, many stakeholders, some who are going to suggest that a tariff on this type of steel is appropriate. And I think we'll hear from many people that a tariff on this type of steel is not appropriate. So it's too early to say who's going to be the winner and the loser. But if we think about what the history has been on tariffs on steel and aluminum, it would not be a surprise to imagine that a tariff would be put on this steel. And that tariff would be probably on the order of 25% just like it is on other steel products. And if that steel were to come into the United States in the form of a transformer rather than raw steel, there's even the possibility that there would be a tariff on the transformer as a whole product. There's so much to absorb here, in particular with the 232. You know, there's a lot of background on the implications for import tariffs on steel. And Section 232 is a section of the Trade Expansion Act uh, all the way back to 1962. If you do a Google search, you're going to come up with things from, uh, you know, 2018, 2019, imports from Canada, imports. I mean, there's a, this is part of the war of words between President Trump and Trudeau. Uh, and the G7 summit was around these imposition of tariffs. So this is a really complex geopolitical issue, and it's going to be one that's very, very interesting to watch. I was reading sort of an analysis that IHS Market did that I'll link to, but as I recall, you guys just published something as well that gives deeper insight into the the implications of these tariffs too, right? That's right. We've put out to our stakeholders and customers a summary of the situation as we see it now, both on the executive order and on the 232. Similarly, we put out a regular item on the virus and the pandemic and that impact on supply chain. Well, let's actually talk a bit about that because that was one of the things that I had sort of bubbling in my mind that I wanted to make sure I hit on with you. Supply chain management, we just talked about it in our uh, summit. It's a hot topic right now with factories worldwide closing and opening, who's open, who's not. 
the idea of quality assurance when we can't even get on a plane to go into uh, some of these factories in remote parts of the world becomes an issue. And it's a very challenging environment. Clean Energy Associates spends quite a lot of time. And in fact, I think this is one of the sort of the birthplace of Clean Energy Associates was Andy having worked at, uh, at Trina and some of the other manufacturing organizations in China spent a lot of time helping companies get comfortable with the supply that was coming in from Asia. What should Suncast listeners know about what you're seeing firsthand in the manufacturing facilities as they begin to reopen? Tell us what it's like to maintain access and do this QA work in a challenging environment. We're very fortunate. We have quality assurance engineers who are deployed throughout Southeast Asia. So in terms of getting access to factories, we're lucky that we don't have to travel internationally in many cases. Most of the factories that we're in are in China, they're in Malaysia, they're in Vietnam, they're in Cambodia, they're in Thailand, and we have people in all places. So from the standpoint of getting to the country, the disruption there has been pretty minimal. That said, there have been times when some factories have taken the decision locally to not allow outsiders in. We're past that stage. That's no longer an issue, but it was an issue short term a couple of months ago. And when that happened, we were still able to do our work. We did it by remote inspection. It's not ideal and it's not always as rigorous as you might like. But what we can do and what we were able to do is effectively work in parallel with somebody inside the factory where they would be our eyes and ears inside And we were the eyes and ears and brains outside to take a look at what was going on through photography, through video, through discussion. And that enabled us to get our job done and continue to do the quality assurance work that we're known for. Is this via Zoom or similar platform where you're sort of telepresent in that scenario? Or are they photos? How do you control the quality? Do they start from outside the factory and walk in? I just want to, I can imagine that listeners are like me thinking, well, how can you trust someone doing that telepresence? Telepresence is a good word for this. It is a combination of discussion, of photos, of things like video conferencing through different platforms, including WeChat, which is very popular over in China. And there are also some stumbling blocks that you come across. In many factories, the wireless service is not very effective. And so in that point, you're resorting to quick video that is emailed across, and then you go back to take another one. But what we do is we guide the person inside. This has only happened on a couple of occasions because it hasn't been disruptive because we had had people in country near the factory. So it's rare, but it can be done. Uh, And it's not just in Asia. We were very actively involved in auditing delivery of equipment into the United States for safe harbor purposes. And similarly, we were able to work with warehouse staff who were on site to video and FaceTime, in this case, us and take photographs and show us records to enable us to do our auditing job there as well. Fascinating to see how a company working uh, in so many different countries is addressing uh, the challenges that we're facing through this uh, terrible pandemic. What are some key considerations that you'd suggest for companies navigating and the, this evolving solar and even storage supply chain? So with respect to the, this very unusual case that we have right now, first, everybody should feel some sense of comfort 
that the supply, meaning the manufacturing of inverters and modules and batteries and racking, continues. And by and large, China is back up to normal speed on this. And most of the other places in Southeast Asia, while they've had temporary disruptions, they're running. So there have been disruptions, for example, in Malaysia, where the government has put restrictions on factories. But those restrictions are sometimes on, sometimes off. On the whole, Malaysia continues to produce others. You could probably say in broad brush terms at a lower rate than full speed. But some of the factories in Malaysia are running full speed. Vietnam, it's business as usual. Factories are running. China, it's back to business as usual. Factories are running. So this is all very good. With that said, there are some disruptions. Certain supplies are harder to get. And what that means is that the factories are looking for flexibility in terms of the bill of materials that they draw from to make their products. So if you're buying at this point, you want to make sure that there's oversight in terms of making sure that the bills of materials are consistent with the product certifications. You want to make sure that there are no substitutes being made that would compromise safety or performance or quality. So those are things that are, are very important, especially now when they're, the manufacturers are basically doing everything they can to keep the supply flowing, but they're having to make some changes along the way to do that. Well, it's certainly a challenging time, Paul, but always reassuring to hear from someone with your depth of experience and uh, dare I say, even uh, calm tone and surety of voice. I'd like to know as we, uh, as we wrap here, any final words of wisdom that you might offer for companies? A lot are facing delays, disruptions as a result of this pandemic. The pandemic is a tragic situation for many Americans and many people around the world. To some degree, the energy industry the industry that we are in, the solar industry and the storage industry, we are also impacted, but not nearly as tragically as so many other people that we know and we care about, our friends, our family, our, our co-workers. So in that sense, I, I'm optimistic and grateful to be able to be in the industry. The supply chain side upstream is working through the problems, and we're paying attention to that. We are in factories every single day. And we're watching what happens and we're protecting our clients. On the downstream side, we've seen some disruption. The cost of money might be increasing for some projects. Investors might be getting a little uh, more concerned and more risk averse because of the new risks that are on the table. But we haven't seen a large scale decline or drop or postponement across the utility scale industry. We've probably seen more of an impact at the residential scale or the commercial scale where there's a lot of face-to-face -face activity that takes place. Uh, but I'm optimistic about that too because companies are finding new ways to sell. Just as much as we're finding new ways to inspect inside of a factory that may be closed for a short time, people who are working on the residential space are finding new ways to promote what they're doing and sell what they're doing and install what they're doing. So we are a resilient industry. Nevertheless, when we have disruptions like the executive order that puts some additional uncertainty out, when you have disruptions like the 232 section investigation that brings additional uncertainty, this is a time for us to all be calm and to do our homework and to monitor what's going on, 
to leverage the really deep relationships that we have throughout the industry on the downstream side and the upstream side and collect the wisdom of the industry players and keep that information flow going so that we don't panic, but we adjust. We don't give up, but we find backups and alternatives that keep us going. Well, it's a brave new world that we're all trying to navigate, Paul, and resiliency is a core characteristic of us on the solar coaster. As we monitor and adjust, we're grateful for the collective wisdom from folks like you at uh, Clean Energy Associates. Paul Wormser is the Vice President of Technology at Clean Energy Associates, and we're glad to have been graced with your presence today, Paul, to help us uh, unwind and uh, clarify some of these challenging uh, announcements from the current administration. Look forward to chatting with you again very soon. Very much likewise. Thank you so much, Nico. Wow. Well, we're super grateful for Paul and the CEA team, as well as Lauren Glickman and the Renewcom team for helping get Paul teed up here on Suncast. I hope that this was informative for you as it was for me. I've been curious how the latest executive order from dear old Trump is going to affect our industry. And now we know, got some a lot more clarity on that as well. It was great to have an update on the latest 232 filing, differentiations between 232-201. And I know that we can always count on the Clean Energy Associates team for all things supply chain related. (laughs) So it's always good to get Paul's insights into how folks are managing supply chain, given the, (laughs) the general delays that we've all seen in the industry. That's a wrap on this conversation, Warrior, but I do hope that we'll see you back here on Thursday for this week's long form interview. I also encourage you to check out other episodes of Suncast and let me know what you think of these shorter form discussions. Do you want more like this? We've got hundreds of episodes, resources, and highlights from these discussions, along with the social media links for each episode guest, book recommendations, and so much more over at mysuncast.com. And that's also where you'll find other ways to engage with our Suncast tribe, like subscribing to our weekly tribe exclusive emails or even joining our exclusive inner circle of infinite learners and clean economy champions we affectionately refer to as the Guild. If you're on Spotify or iTunes, I do so appreciate your rating and review so that others can also find Suncast more easily. And a special thank you to our sponsors who help make this podcast possible. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor, as well as learn more about becoming a sponsor if that's something that you're interested in. You can follow the links there as well to any of the offers that we've discussed about any of our sponsors here today. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. <laughs> <laughs>